Uh, God, thank you for um, tonight. Thank you for just bringing so many new friends um, and for an opportunity to just sit and to listen to your word. And um, Father, we do pray, especially in light of the passage that we're, we're about to dive into, that you would give us ears to hear. Uh, we confess that we can just approach times like this, listening from your word so nonchalantly with um, not the right attitudes and not the right humility and not the right hearts. Um, and so we do need your help. Uh, we need your spirit to teach us, to allow us to understand, um, to hear not just words, but truth that speaks into our lives. Um, and so do that work right now as we listen to this message, as we look into this passage. Um, God, we thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure whether you guys think uh, I am young or old. And <laughs> you don't have to tell me. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. But uh, when I think about college, it doesn't actually seem that long ago. Um, and, and when I think back to that time, however many years ago that was, based on just my conversations with some of you guys and the things that you're going through and the things that you're thinking about, um, actually, I think my college experience wasn't all that different from what it's like for you guys. When I was in college, I was thinking about the same kinds of decisions, life decisions. I enjoyed the same kinds of activities. Um, so going to like sports games, hanging out, studying, playing nerds, um, ate at the same restaurants, went to the same taco trucks, El Chato, I know you guys still go there. Uh, experienced some of the same things with living in the apartments, just with different roommates. And so uh, I remember all of that. I think like what you guys are going through is pretty, pretty similar. And I think one specific way that I feel like I can really relate to many of you is just involvement with church and campus ministries. Uh, just by show of hands, how many of you actually like go to WACF on your campus or some sort of campus ministry? All right, all right. Yeah, I know many of you. Um, if you didn't know, I went to UCLA. I was in, involved in WACF. Um, and, and by involved, I mean like like really involved, right? Like lar there's large group, there's small group, there's even something called medium group. Um, I live with WACF friends. Uh, it was a very special time in my life, and maybe it's same for you guys. Uh, we, we learned and we grew together, we served together in that community. And out of my time in college with these Christian friends uh, were lifelong friendships. And in fact, a, a lot of my classmates in WCF, they're kind of still in the area and they actually still go to Lighthouse and I see them every week. But the sad reality is that there are also many who were in WCF with me who are no longer walking with God. And I, like when I think about that, that doesn't surprise me because I know that like the Bible talks about that, right? Like that's, that's reality, but it's still kind of crazy to think about. Because these were people who I served together with on core, who were so involved with so many different ministries, who seemed to demonstrate this genuine love for God and a fruitful life. And now they're just doing their own thing. Like Jesus is not an important part of their lives anymore. They're not walking with God. And this is not just the WACF thing. This I'm sure you can think of examples like this from your own life. Maybe you know childhood friends or your own siblings, uh, people you grew up with at church, and, and they're not walking with the Lord anymore. Right? Even though you were so convinced, you saw genuine fruit in their lives, genuine change in this love for God. And, and when you think about that, like the reasons can vary. 
right? Maybe it was a crisis of faith, as they call it. Maybe it was a significant trial um, or just something in the Bible or, or Christianity that they could not accept. Or maybe it was just like that other priorities got more attention. I mean, the, the rigor of grad school or the ma- demands of career, or they just want to enjoy life, right? Like travel and socialize and be with friends. Well, that is exactly what our passage is about. Uh, Matthew 13, verses 123, this is the parable of the sower. It's a pretty familiar passage. Um, in fact, it also shows up in Mark 4, 1 to 20, and in Luke 8, 1 to 15. But in these verses, we learn not only the different responses that we that we can expect, right? the different results of the ministry of God's word. But more importantly, we learn the key to, to what makes the difference, right? the key to what will produce a fruitfulness and a faithfulness in a life following Christ. And that key is actually very simple, right? maybe even surprising, you can say. That key, that difference, is how we listen. And that's the difference how we listen, how we hear and receive the word of God. And so that brings us to our key idea. Um, it's on your handouts. It's, uh, it's God produces real and lasting fruit in our lives when we are truly receiving and responding to his word. God produces real and lasting fruit in our lives when we are truly re- receiving and responding to his word. Pretty simple idea, um, but let's go through this. And as when you look at this passage, we're going to be in verses 1 to 23. Uh, maybe your Bibles, you can see the divisions here. So verses 1 to 9, we get the parable of the sower itself, right? And then verses 10 to 17, uh, my heading in my, in my Bible, it says the purpose of the parables, and so parables in general. And then in verses 18 to 23, Jesus actually comes back around, and he explains what the parable of the sower means, right? So he explains what he just said uh, in verses 1 to 9. And that's always kind of nice you know, when Jesus tells you uh, what his words mean. Um, But we'll take this in two parts, okay? Uh, First is parables and their purpose, and then second is the Word of God and its responses. Let's start with the first point, parables and their purpose. So throughout our our summer series, we've been uh, looking at selected passages in the Gospels, and I know we've been jumping around a little bit. Last week we were in Mark. Um, A few weeks ago we were in Luke. But one thing that was true of Jesus' earthly ministry that you can see throughout all the Gospels is that there was a wide range of responses to his ministry, right? People were responding all different sorts of ways. For example, there were those who you would expect to accept his message, um, the religious people, right? Those in the places or the towns where Jesus spent a long time doing ministry, uh, you would expect his own family to believe in him and to receive him. And yet we see that they didn't believe, right? Those who you would expect, they didn't believe, and then on the other hand, you had those who you would, would not expect, right? The sinners, um, the sick people, the outsiders, and they did believe. And so when you look at that, uh, you have to ask the question, okay, how do we make sense of that? Like, why is that happening? And then on top of that, Jesus was preaching this message about the kingdom, right? This thing he keeps referring to as the kingdom. And if this kingdom was supposed to be so great and so powerful and so amazing, then why wasn't it just taking over, right? Why wasn't everyone just buying into it? And that's especially what we see here in Matthew. It's emphasized um, in in this chapter, chapter 13. Uh, And Jesus tells a bunch of parables to explain the nature of the kingdom. But his point here is that's not how God's kingdom works. That's not how God's kingdom grows. 
And so when we start chapter 13, here we are again with Jesus. He's preaching to this multitude of people, and uh, we can expect a multitude of responses. So look at verse 1. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And so you can stop there. Jesus gets in a boat. The boat goes out on the water. The rest of the people are on the beach. They're still in the sand. They're listening. Um, and the reason for this is just there was something about the water that like amplified Jesus' uh, his voice, and so they could hear. Um, but he's, he's teaching a large group of people. Okay, and this is what he teaches them. This is the parable of the sower. Verse 3. He told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell along or fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up, sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. In verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, we'll get to what this parable means in a bit, but there's actually something else that Jesus wants us to understand uh, first before we get there. And as you can, can see in the heading in your Bibles, it's about the nature of parables themselves, right? the purpose of just parables in general. And if you look in uh, our passage, it's what verses 10 to 17 is about. Right? It's just giant chunk in the middle, uh, in the middle of all the action. And it's actually interesting that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all do this. They all put this passage or this section right between the parable and uh, the explanation. And so look at verse 9 again. Uh, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. Um, That's kind of a a mysterious saying, right? I I imagine, like, if you've ever been to an escape room, like the escape room host, like saying that at the very end, just disappearing and closing the door right behind him. But how would you put the meaning of verse 9 in your own words? He who is ears, let him hear. Uh, maybe you would say, well, it means stop right? and think about what you just heard. Or ponder its meaning, ponder its significance. Uh, it means, did you catch the message? Right? I think you guys get the idea. The, the point he's saying here is that there's a way that you can hear, but not really hear. Right? There's a way that you can listen to the words right, audibly, and yet miss it entirely. And I'm sure we've all experienced this, right? Like either you've been guilty of it yourself or maybe you've gotten annoyed at someone who did that to you. Or maybe you were listening or you were in class and you were listening to your professor lecturing, but you weren't really listening right? because you were like on Facebook or whatever, right? Or you're on Zoom and you weren't paying attention to your professor on Zoom. Uh, or maybe you're texting on your phone and someone else is and you're trying to ask you something, and you're just like staring at your phone, and you have no idea what that person said because you're distracted. Uh, or maybe your parents are trying to tell you something, um, but you're just kind of like waiting for them to finish, right? To stop lecturing you, and so you're not processing anything coming out of their mouth. Jesus says, "There's a way that you can hear what I just said, but not really hear it." And that's true not just of this parable, the parable, parable of the sower. But that's true of all of these parables. And so we have to ask the question, well, what is a parable? What is a parable? 
I think the common conception is that a parable is a story, right? That a parable is a way that Jesus could illustrate a point that he was trying to make. Um, someone has once described or defined a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And, and that's true. Um, the word parable just means to lay alongside. Okay, so uh, you're, you have these two parallel ideas, right? And you're laying them alongside one another. Um, and often it was this like profound spiritual lesson and they was laid alongside or it was communicated using this very ordinary, uh, like everyday word picture or like example from everyday life. And from our uh, from this specific parable, it's using farming like imagery, right? And they lived in an agrarian society, and so this was just part of their everyday life. I think something important that we might miss about Jesus's parables is that their meaning was not immediately obvious. Okay? The meaning was not immediately obvious, and so maybe a better way to think of a parable not is not so much like a sermon illustration, but actually a riddle, a puzzle. Now, it wasn't hard to track with the parable itself um, because it was something you experienced every day, right? Like this, this uh, <clears throat> parable of a, a sower sowing seed, that's like, you know what that is. But it required careful thought. It required careful consideration to really unearth what Jesus was trying to say, right? You really had to think about it to realize, oh, this is like a, a picture of a listener's heart to the word of God. You had to think hard about what it meant. And here, specifically in Matthew 13, this teaching in the form of parables was a shift in Jesus's ministry. So here we're about two years into Jesus's ministry. And up until this point, his teaching had been very clear. Right? He had been very straightforward about what uh, the, about the kingdom of God, about what following him required. But now, as the opposition, the hostility, more people are starting to follow Jesus and the buzz about him is growing, Jesus starts to speak in parables. And it's this weird change, and it actually confuses his disciples. Look at verse 10. It says, And the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And this is his answer, verse 11. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So there's a lot in Jesus' response, but uh, just focus in on verse 13, because I think that's key. And in that verse, Jesus says that his parables uh, not only reveal truth, right? He's going to talk about that in verses 16 and 17, how um, his disciples are able to understand and so they reveal truth to his disciples, but they also conceal truth. They don't just reveal truth, but also conceal it. And Matthew here, he says, he uses the word because. Right? So, so he says, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. I'm in verse 13, but if you look in Mark and in Luke, the idea is even stronger. And they use the word so that instead of because. So that seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. That's why Jesus speaks in parables. And to further drive this point home, Jesus is going to quote from this Old Testament passage, Isaiah 6, um, specifically verses 9 to 10. And in that passage, 
Um, the prophet Isaiah receives this vision of God's holiness in the temple, um, and God commissions Isaiah to be a prophet, right, to speak on his behalf. And you might recognize this question that God asks. He says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And maybe you've heard that uh, when it comes to like missions or something like that. Well, this is what God says to Isaiah right after that. Right after Isaiah volunteers for service, God says, this is what your ministry is going to look like. This is what will happen when you preach. Verse 14. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And so, in other words, God commissions Isaiah to be uh, to the people of Israel, right, who have turned away from God at that point, and he uses Isaiah's preaching to do what? To harden the hearts of those who are listening. And Jesus, going back to our passage now, Jesus says, that's what these parables will do as well. To harden the hearts of those who are listening. And for some who are truly listening, they will reveal, right? They will reveal truth about the kingdom of God. But for others who have rejected me, who are not, they will further conceal. For those who aren't truly listening, these parables will dull their hearing even further. Now, I don't know what you think about that. Like that, that's kind of a hard teaching to swallow, isn't it? But I think it goes to show that God is totally sovereign. That's the point of verses 11 to 12, right? Like all these passive verbs. God does all of that. Um, if you flip to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 2, it talks about how we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word of God uh, to us so that we might understand. Right? We're dependent on God himself to allow us to respond. In that passage, 1 Corinthians 2, it says, otherwise the natural person, right, the person who doesn't hear, he doesn't accept the things of God. They're folly to him. And so God's sovereign grace, here's the point, God's sovereign grace is what allows us to have ears to hear and soft hearts to respond. And that is a hard teaching, but that ought to humble us. Right? Because that shows us it's, it's not because we're smarter. It's not because we're better. It's not because we're more mature or more spiritual. Like We can't claim any personal advantage over other people and say, oh, I've heard this before, and just use that as an excuse for why we don't need to listen to God's word for ourselves. A humble heart in response to God's grace, in response to the fact that God alone is sovereign, even over our understanding, a humble heart is eager to listen. And for the purposes of our passage tonight, what I want you to take away uh, from these, this discussion on parables in general is that God's word is doing something to you as you listen. Right? It's doing something to you. It's not a passive activity. Uh, not just in the sense that like, we ought to be actively listening, that's true, but also because his word is actively doing something to us. Like His word is accomplishing its purpose I mean, that's one implication of his sovereignty, right? If God is sovereign, then he's going to accomplish his purpose. And that's exactly what happens to his word. Uh, a couple of quotes there on your handout. This is Charles Spurgeon. He says, The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. 
And then John Piper, he says, even when preaching the word of God does not soften and save and heal, it is not necessarily ineffective. This preaching of the word may be God's terrible work of judgment. It may be hardening people and making their ears so dull that they will never want to hear it again. I mean, that's, that's scary to think about, right? Familiarity and, and over-familiarity can be dangerous. And this reality ought to grab our attention, and I think that's why we need to start here. Right? Like, we need to realize God's Word's doing something to us. Right? We need to respond. But at the same time, let me just kind of bring this back down to, to ground level a little bit. I know ideas like, like God's sovereignty and just like human inability, judgment, um, like hardened hearts, I know all of that can seem overwhelming, a little intense. And so I want to remind you of what this passage tells us is our role. Like, what is our responsibility here? And again, it's very simple. It's to listen. Right? All of this is true, but what's our role? What's our responsibility? It's to listen. Right? To make sure our hearts are in a condition to be receptive to, receptive to his word. In fact, don't, don't let like all this talk of God's sovereignty distract you from this universal call in these verses. Right, in verse 9, it says, He who has ears, let him hear. Right, anyone, let him hear. Verse 19, when anyone hears. Right, so this is all of us. We need to listen. And that's exactly what the parable of the sower is about. And that leads us to our next point, which is the word of God and its responses. The word of God and its responses. Right, and so in verses 18 to 23, we get Jesus' explanation and I want you to notice in verse 18, there's that word again, right? Jesus says, hear then the parable of the sower, right? And, and that's double meaning there, right? Not, don't just listen to the sound of the words, but like understand, right? Understand what it actually means. Um, and so in this parable, we have the seed, we have the sower, and then we have the soils, right? And what, what made the difference uh, for you science people? Like what was the independent variable, right? What was, and then if you look at it, it's the kind of soil that the seed fell into. Right? That's the only thing that changed, the kind of soil that the seed fell into. It's not the message, which is the seed. It's not the, the messenger, the person who spoke, who's the sower. But it's the receptivity of those listening. Those are the four different soils. And so for each of these four soils, Jesus shows us a different way that we can tend to respond to God's word. And so let's go through this. The first one we'll call the hardened heart. The hardened heart. Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now I want you to think about what happens to soil or what happens to dirt that's along a path. Okay, well, people are constantly walking back and forth on it. They're stomping here and there. And then each time someone's walking on it, right, like stepping down on it, the dirt, the dirt, uh, the dirt gets more and more packed together. Right? Like it just keeps getting compressed and compressed. And pretty soon this path is this super hard surface. There's no opportunity for the seed to actually break through and like get underneath the ground. And so because of that, because it actually never actually goes underneath, when the birds come, they quickly devour the seed, right? Because it's still exposed. And Jesus says, this is the hardened heart. God's word never gets underneath the surface. The, the message is immediately dismissed. It's rejected. 
Um, it's, it's met with unbelief. This hardened heart, uh, the soil is this upfront dismissal of the Bible as authoritative and true. You're, you're saying, oh, I don't believe this to be the very word of God like it says it is. I reject the Bible's claim on my life. And I mean, especially nowadays, we hear this all the time, don't we? Maybe you've heard someone say to you, like, how could you actually believe what this book says? I mean, do you actually believe, like, this outdated stuff? I mean, get with the times. How could you actually place your faith in what this teaches? It's not always um, so antagonistic. Sometimes I think it's really personal, right? And I think in our attempts to love others better, we need to recognize that. Like, sometimes it's, like, actually a real personal thing. Maybe it's a close friend who refuses to believe the gospel because of what it means that the Bible says about like their unsaved parent. Right? Like, How could you believe in a God that sends people to hell? Or maybe it's a classmate who can't accept the reality that the Bible condemns not just their homosexual lifestyle, but like it seemingly uh, confronts their very identity, the core of who they are. Like, I think we need to realize like that's some people's struggle. Right? Like, it's a real personal thing. So we need to be gracious. We need to be compassionate in situations like this. But something else that I want you to understand is that many of these questions, many of these objections are not new. And that's uh, that book that we're going to go through, Surviving Religion 101. That's one of the first things that the author points out. It says that a lot of students, they go into college and they learn about some like new objection uh, against Christianity and the Bible. And then all of a sudden they're like, Wait, like I've, I've never heard of this before. Oh my gosh, have like Christians ever thought about this? And the answer is, yeah, like trust me, Christians have thought about this. You know, the Bible has answers these questions. These things don't stump God's word. God's word does have something to say about it if you're willing to seek the truth. But are you? Like that's the difference. Are you willing to seek the answer in God's word? And Jesus says that many people whose hearts are like this first kind of soil, well, they're not willing. They'd rather just outright reject the message because this one thing bothers them. And so we need to ask ourselves, I think this is kind of the foundational question with this first soil. Are you submitting yourself under the word of God or do you put yourself over it? Or do you place yourself under the authority of the word or do you put yourself over the word of God? You're the one in charge. You're the one who gets to decide what I like and what I don't like. And those are probably the kinds of examples that immediately come to mind for this kind of soil, the people who just reject the, the teaching of the Bible. Uh, but I think another subtle form of this that many of us might be guilty of is just this indifference toward God's word. And maybe you're not like consciously rejecting what the Bible teaches, but you just never receive it. Like, like you're physically present here on Sunday mornings. You're in the room where Pastor Kim is speaking, but like that's as far as it goes, right? Like by the time announcements comes around, you don't even remember what the message was about. Or maybe you don't see yourself as like standing over the word of God, but you keep God's word at an arm's distance. And I think we're all tempted to, th to do this, right? Like we talk about, the sermon and what do we focus on? What, what we liked, what we didn't like? Like we focus on how good we thought that preacher was. Um, or even worse, we think about like the friend who needs to hear the message we just heard. Like, hey dude, you gotta listen to this message about doing your dishes, right? Or texting me back. 
But that was the issue with many of Jesus' listeners. Like they heard what he was saying, but they didn't realize, oh, he's actually talking about me. He's actually talking to me. And that's exactly what the evil one wants to happen. If you look here, he wants to snatch away God's truth from penetrating our hearts. He wants us to quickly forget and just move on. So that the seed never actually gets underneath. And so, college students, let me ask you, how does God's word personally apply to you? Like right now in your life, with the things you're going through, the sins that you're struggling with, how does God's word actually make a difference to the things going on in your life? What sins does it confront? And I think for like that's a question we need other people uh, their help for sometimes. What hope does God's word offer you in your present circumstances? And those are questions we need to be constantly asking ourselves and one another because they help keep our hearts soft. Right? That's how we allow the seed of God's word to actually get beneath the surface and into our hearts. So that's a hardened heart. Second one we'll call the shallow heart. The shallow heart. Verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And so the second soil is actually uh, is different from the first in that it actually kind of starts out well. Right? And if you look at the words that Jesus uses, um, it seems like it actually starts out really well. Because Jesus says uh, that this person immediately receives it with joy. There's enthusiasm, there's energy, there's a happiness. Um, but the problem with this soil is that there's no root. And when it's talking about rocky ground, uh, it's, it's talking about how there was a layer of soil, but underneath that, that soil was this layer of rocks, where there was limestone. And so that would prevent the seed from ever getting the roots deep. Right? It looked like it was, it was under the ground, but then the, the rocks, it would prevent the roots, the roots from actually going down. And uh, Jesus says that this soil, this seed can endure for a while, but because there's no real depth, because these roots haven't actually been established, that it can't withstand the heat of the sun. And pretty soon it withers away. Now maybe at this point you're thinking, wait, does this mean that I can lose my salvation? Right? And that's a good question. That's a hard question. Um, but I would say no. I think scripture teaches us that we cannot lose our salvation. Um, I'll just read a couple of passages. John 10. 27 to 28, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Or Philippians 1 6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, so, this does not mean that we can lose our salvation, but the Bible does say, that genuine faith is tested and it's proven to be true over time. Right? Our, our faith is proven to be true over time. And for many, there will be moments when life gets hard. In, in this passage, it says tribulation. Uh, so when just like suffering or persecution that rises on account of the word. So people actually opposing you because of what you believe. And these hard times will reveal the true nature of that faith. These hard times will reveal how deeply the roots of God's word have actually traveled. And for many, these hard times will show that those roots haven't actually gone very deep at all. As quickly as this kind of heart enthusiastically responds to the word of God, right? it says immediately, Jesus says they are just as quick to bail and to tap out. That same word, immediately. 
I'm sure you can think of examples of this. Maybe uh, people that you've seen in your own life. Maybe you had a friend who uh, like rededicated his or her life to Jesus right at a retreat. And it, like, I really seen, they were so convicted. They were so excited to grow and to do this Jesus thing. But then trials came and suffering came. Maybe their family was, was, uh, was not believers, right? And so they questioned and they mocked their faith. Where do you guys see this tendency in your own life? And college students, many of you are away from your parents for the first time. You're given newfound freedoms. Let me ask you, are you feeding off of the faith of others? Or is your faith really your own? I mean, does your spiritual life depend on constant mountaintop experiences? Like you always got to have those like those high highs. Are you always going to be at retreat each year? Or like it just depends on the fellowship events that happen in your campus ministry. Or it's always those worship nights that like, you know, that bring you back to, to where you should be with Jesus. Right? Or, or maybe you're like, oh, it's not happening for me at this church. i got to go to a new church. Right? That's how I'll start growing again. Are you rooted deeply in the truth? So that even when there are seasons where God seems distant, where things are hard, where your faith feels dry, where the, when the word of God sounds boring, right? have your roots gone deep enough that you're still able to draw, to draw the nutrients that you need? Right, to draw the water that you need to nourish your own soul. In your Christian life, do you pursue and do you value depth and diligence and consistency? And guys, there's nothing wrong with emotions. There's nothing wrong with enthusiasm or even like growing really fast in a short amount of time. But the truth is that often what we see on the surface, it doesn't tell the whole story. And so that's why we do some of the things we do here in Beacon. That's why we want to do this monthly book study um, this upcoming year, because we want to grow together in depth of thinking, right? We want to be critical thinkers when it comes to God's word. Um, Paul's hope for mature believers in Ephesians 4, 14, he says that is that we would no longer be children, right? There's that, that aspect of time again. So we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Um, and so that's why we want to do that. We encourage you to, to join us, to be a part of that. Um, this is why we do small groups after the message, right? because we want to grow together in depth of application. I mean, like we mentioned earlier, to ask the important, honest questions of how does this scripture apply to me and my life? Right? That's why we have small groups. Another part of it is just to learn from one another. I mean, you gain depth by learning from the insights of one another. You're not going to be the best student of the Bible on your own. I've gained so much insight from just talking about God's word with other people. And their words prepare me and their words equip me to withstand the hard times that these verses talk about. And so that's the shallow heart. We've seen the hardened heart, the shallow heart. Third is the distracted heart. Distracted heart. Verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Um, and so thorns, all you need to understand about thorns here is that they were undesirable plants. Okay, you can think of them like weeds. Um, these are plants that, that grow up, that take up the same space, and so they crowd out what you want to grow. Right? They crowd out the fruit from growing properly. And so if the shallow heart withers away because uh, life gets hard, then the distracted heart proves unfruitful when life is too good. 
right, when life is good. Other distractions choke the word and steal your time and your attention and your energy away from the things of God. And it's interesting, um, the specific thorns that Jesus mentions here. Look what he says. He says, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Right? Those two things specifically, the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches. And I think the common thread between those two things uh, is that they're like seemingly innocent and ordinary, and you can even argue like good things. Right? And money is the prime example of that. Money is a good thing. Riches are, are not bad, but like you see in scripture, it's the love of money, right? It's the deceitfulness of money, the promises that it makes you. And so what does this look like for your own life? Right? Just think about your own daily schedule. What does a typical day look like for you? Well, your alarm goes off in the morning, right? And so you wake up sometimes, right? But uh, you wake up, you check your email, look at the notifications on your phone, uh, Maybe while you're doing that, you scroll on social media, you look at updates of like what your friends are doing, um, what they ate last night, uh, things going on in the news. And so maybe you're reading through Twitter and the news and you're like, oh shoot, like this is happening, right? This is something that gives me anxiety that I'm worried about, I should be thinking about. Um, or you see your friend's pictures and you're like, oh, it'd be nice to travel there, right? Or to eat there. So you put down your phone, you go to class, sit in lecture, when class is done, or you're like, oh, it's time to study. Oh, shoot, that midterm's coming up next week. I'm behind. I better study. Um, well, you're, like, you study for a little bit, and all of a sudden, oh, I'm feeling tired. I need a nap. Let's, like, let me take a nap. And then another thought pops into your mind. Oh, I, I should really start thinking in, or looking into that internship or that job posting. Like, I should apply. I've been meaning to do that. Or your friends text you. Hey, you want to hang out? Right? want to grab dinner tonight. And you forget, oh shoot, I have a campus or an org event like that evening. I have WCF, I can't, I gotta go to WCF. And it's just like so many things, right? There's like nothing strange in that day that I just described, but there are so many things that call for your attention. So many things that say, hey, you need to attend to me, right? You need to take care of me, you need to think about me. It's the tyranny of the urgent. This thing needs to get done and we forget what's actually important. And all of a sudden, what happens? God gets crowded out. And God's word gets lost in the many other priorities in our lives. And I think for us, for you guys as college students, for all of us, I think here in America, like this is probably the most dangerous for us. It's not this deliberate rejection, but it's this slow drifting because we get distracted. This other thing compete for our attention. And so what is that for you? Like what are those specific distractions that are competing for your attention. And in small groups, like I want you to be specific about this because we all struggle with different things. And maybe for you, it's school. You just wanna do really well in school. You wanna excel in your grades. You wanna get ahead in your career. I mean, so that's like the biggest distraction for you. Um, or for others of you, it's just spending time with people, just having fun, enjoying yourself. Or maybe for others of you, it's just like plain laziness. You know, you fill yourself up with mindless entertainment, with video games, with YouTube, and it's like junk food, right? Like you no longer, you just fill yourself with junk food and you no longer have this appetite for the meat of God's word. And so you don't spend time with it and, and all of a sudden it gets crowded out. These thorns crowd out the fruit that God's word wants to produce in your life. You guys, this is why we preach about the beauty of Christ. 
And as we put it here uh, at Lighthouse, why following Jesus and why living for him is not only right, but why it's better. And what faithful listening does is it stirs up our affections for him. It gives us this clear vision of who Jesus is. It reminds us why he is better than anything else that this world can offer. So we've looked at three different soils so far, the hardened heart, the shallow heart, the distracted heart. Um, and maybe when you look at those three, you can make out some sort of like progression there. Right? It gets like a little more, more subtle each time. It goes from this upfront rejection of the word to this constant battle for attention. They just amidst the world's cares, amidst the world's distractions, um, crowding out God's word um, in your life. But something I want to point out is that the end result for these first three soils is the same. And so it doesn't really matter, right, whether you're the first one or the third one or the second one. The seed doesn't produce any fruit. And so you can say that there are really actually two kinds of soil, right? There are those that yield fruit, and then there are those which don't. And there's only one kind of soil, only one kind of heart that will prove fruitful. And that leads us to our last one which is the receptive heart, the receptive heart. Verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. I want you to see the relationship between the words there, right? It says hears the word and understands it, and then bears fruit. So that's what it means to truly hear God's word in a way that will produce fruit. That you not only physically hear what's being said, but you think, right? you ponder, you process, you turn it over in your heart, you understand. And that understanding leads to action. Right? That understanding leads to actual change and bearing fruit. Um, the way that James puts it in his letter is that you're not just a hearer of the word, but you're a doer also. I want to just step back a little bit and understand this last soil in the context of the other soils, right? in the context of the rest of this parable. How do we think about this? Well, you might be listening to all of this and you think to yourself, well, like I've seen a lot of examples of the other three soils, but I'm a Christian and so I must be that fourth soil. Right? I must be that good soil because I believe in Jesus. Right? I'm a Christian. Maybe you're on the other end and you're wondering, okay, I mean, I'm listening to all of this. Like, how do I know which one I am? Like, what if it's just a matter of time before something happens and that seed that I think is in my heart, that seed withers away? Well, my response to that would be, first of all, yeah, it's right, it's appropriate to regularly, to examine your own life, to evaluate your life for fruitfulness. I mean, the Bible talks about this all over the place. And we have to recognize the temptation for all of us even on a weekly basis, we, where we were inundated with sound teaching, we have to realize our temptation to be poor listeners. Right? We're not really receiving the word as we should be. But on the other hand, in this passage, that can seem kind of bleak and serious. I want you to notice the simplicity in this picture of the last soil. Right? All Jesus says is, if your heart is humble, if you... Uh, are receptive of the word of God, if you have listening ears, the seed falls into the soil and God will produce fruit. Right? It's very simple, very straightforward. God will produce fruit. In fact, it's easy to miss this 
but actually the yield that Jesus mentions is, is very ridiculous. Okay, he says a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. And we don't use that, those words anymore, but let me just put in percentages. He's talking about 10,000% fruit, 6,000% fruit, 3,000% fruit. Okay, that's the yield that God will produce when our hearts are humble and receptive of the word. Right, like that's miraculous. That's like supernatural, right? You cannot produce that. God produces that. And I think just this reality ought to give us hope. That God's word will accomplish its purpose, and He blesses those who are truly listening. In Psalm one, it says, "You will be like a tree planted by streams of water, always connected to God's supply, fruitful in its season." And sometimes that fruit will be super obvious, right? Ten thousand percent fruit. Like a radical life change. Maybe maybe it's you like finally being able to forgive that person who wronged you in a really significant way. Right? That's the fruit that the word of God can bear in your life. But maybe more often than not, it won't be as obvious. But maybe it's just a 3,000% fruit. Right? Maybe it's just even less than that. Maybe the fruit in your life is just cracking open your Bible and like you try to pray today. Like that, that's fruit. Right? That's genuine change that God is doing in your life. And sure, in one sense, this parable does require us to examine the results. It does require us to examine whether or not there is fruit in our lives, because it does tell us if the word of God has actually taken root. But at the same time, I mean, if anything, this parable warns us against being totally results-oriented, right? at least in terms of what we can see with our own eyes. And I think that's important to point out because often the apparent lack of fruit is what keeps us from being in the Word, right? This, this discouragement over, like, I don't see anything happening, that's an obstacle sometimes for us from faithfully listening to the Word of God. And you're like, oh, I didn't feel anything different. I don't even know if I understood what I just read. Like, I still struggle with this sin. And this parable, this gives us hope. It tells us that God will change you. He will grow you. And that doesn't mean there's not going to be droughts or rains or temptations or struggle. But this this last soil, it says that you will withstand it. You won't be perfect, but real, visible fruit will be present. You will be a little more like Christ than you were yesterday, last week, last month. And for those whose hearts are humble and receptive, suffering can actually refine and deepen your faith rather than devastate it. For those who are humbly listening, the delights of this world don't become idols and distractions. They're actually opportunities to savor Christ even more. I mean, as a church, we wholeheartedly believe that the seed of God's word is powerful. That God works supernaturally through the hearing of his word. That God is able to bring about life and growth and change and fruit. And we stake our entire ministry on that conviction. That's why we don't change the message. We keep preaching the same message. It's why we do what we do. And for all of us, we are seriously privileged to sit under such faithful and sound teaching week in and week out. And that's true not just at Lighthouse, but maybe other churches that you go to, WACF. We are privileged to sit under the message of God's word. The question that you need to ask yourself, and the main point of tonight, is are you listening? Are you listening to what God is saying? Are you really receiving and responding to the word of God? Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, just this reminder, this wake-up call, Lord, uh, 
And even in an act like this, when we are gathered around the preaching of your word and we're sitting here and, um, yeah, just we can be so distracted. Uh, we can, our minds can be wandering or there can be unbelief in our hearts and just a resistance, a rustling against your truth and its claim on our lives. And uh, just, yeah, you're, the fact that you have authority and teaching us how to live, God, we oftentimes we don't want to hear that. And so we ask for grace. We ask for uh, just a softened hearts. We ask for understanding that we would not only take what we hear and, and think about it, but we would really churn it around in our hearts and we would really put it into action. Or we, we hold on to the promise that when we are humble listeners, that your word can do an amazing work in our life. That it can produce fruit that is supernatural. It can uh, make us more like Christ. And so I just pray for tonight as we go into small groups that we would continue to put this into practice. I pray for the, just the remaining of the school year as these students begin a new year that uh, it really it would be their priority to be listeners of your word. Uh, more than just doing different things, more than just fulfilling certain uh, just responsibilities, things like that, just, uh, busyness on their schedules, that really we would prioritize humbly listening to your word and trusting that that is the most important thing that we can do. So, Father, uh, just bless the preaching of the word. Bless your time in small groups. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.